0: Hello everyone. We recorded the following episode prior to the murders of George Floyd, Tony McDade, Nina Pop, and the nationwide unrest against police brutality. We want to also acknowledge Breonna Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, and the countless other victims of violence in this country. We want to also take the time to recognize the pain, frustration, and anger Black folks have and continue to experience in this country. Let us be clear. Racism, white supremacy, police brutality, and oppression are not new to this country.
1: As professionals in higher education, racism and police brutality are experiences we know our Black students face. We fully support those protesting and will continue to do the work of supporting our students where we are now. Many of our Black colleagues have shared their experiences with racism and anti-Blackness online through the hashtag BlackInHESA. We want to encourage our listeners to take the time to learn about the lived experiences of our Black colleagues now and moving forward. As members of the Latinx community, we both believe we have a duty to speak to our families and communities specifically about Black Lives Matter and police brutality. We've been engaging in tough, meaningful conversations, and we understand that the work does not just end with our families.
0: We challenge our listeners to reflect on what is happening right now in this country and across the world to the Black community as well as other marginalized communities. Our struggles are not separate and to focus on the struggles in one community does not negate or diminish the struggles or importance of another. Take the time to educate yourselves where you can, but do not forget that action must still be taken. We wanted to share a quote with you all that we felt was reflective of what is currently happening in this country and the things that many of us are experiencing. Quote, The role of the artist is exactly the same as the role of the lover. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. James Baldwin shared. So Erica, what have you been doing to engage with this topic?
1: A whole lot of conversations with my family. Um, My parents are currently watching when they see us, uh, which I think is, you know, one thing my mom said was, this wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. And we're still you know, going through these insane issues. Um, I have donated to Reclaim the Block and our local bond organization here in Gainesville. And most of my books um, that I would like to read are on campus right now. And I'm, like I shared earlier, legally not allowed on campus uh, due to COVID-19, not due to anything else, but um, I'm reading The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates and Thick by Tressie McMillan-Cotton. What about you, Agassi?
0: So doing a little bit of a little bit, of a little bit of a lot of things here and there. Uh, Also have engaged uh, my family in some discussions regarding police brutality and anti-blackness specifically in the Latinx community, uh, which is a topic that is absolutely not shared or spoken about very often. Um, So kind of confronting and engaging in those conversations and trying to meet my family where they are, but also um, setting some expectations that these conversations are important and we need to make sure we talk about them. Um, In terms of what I'm currently reading, I'm currently reading Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde. Can't say I've gotten too deep in the book just yet, so I cannot speak to it, Uh, only about 15 to 20 pages in, um, but um, it is what I'm currently reading. Uh, I've also donated to several nonprofits and funds, um, specifically being the Black Visions Collective and the Marshall P. Johnson Institute. Um, That is, I believe, not where I'm going to end in donations, um, but I also want to stress for folks who are, who may um, not have the financial capabilities to divert funds in this capacity, that is okay. Um, There is more work to be done. There are more ways to engage. Um, So please do not feel pressured if um, there are troubles or struggles with finances. This is not the only way to engage and support with these topics. Um, I've also just been reaching out to uh, students I have relationships with, particularly those of color, to ensure that they know that there are folks on campus who believe in them. Um, and who are here to support them, even if we're not physically on campus at the moment.
1: Again, we wanna share that we recorded this episode and these mini episodes before the latest instances of violence and police brutality in our country. In this episode, we discuss student activism and supporting students of color. Thank you in advance for your engagement with these topics. Black Lives Matter, now
0: and always. Welcome back to your favorite pod, the first five years. Once again, this is Agassi from Clemson University.
1: What is up party people? Coming at you live, working from home. This is Erica from the University of Florida.
0: Pew, 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 pew. Erica, how are you doing, girl?
1: Uh, I am good. I made Bon Appetit's famous banana bread and it has changed my life. So really thrilled with where I am currently at. How are Are you?
0: Are we really putting some stock into trying to get the sponsorship? Uh, by mentioning Bon Appetit multiple times in our podcast? Or yes, these just pure Claire, I love you. Claire, I also love you, although I've only seen one episode, but I'm here for you.
1: Yes, we're trying to get them to sponsor us in the mermaid blankets, but
0: all we'll the mermaid blankets. Yeah, well, yeah, one at a time, one at a time. One at a time.
1: So I'm glad you're doing good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad you're also doing good. Uh, today, we have a very special guest who is joining us. Uh, Lynn Chun currently serves as the Assistant Director for Alcohol, Tobacco, and Other Drug Education at George Mason University. Previously, Lynn held full-time roles at George Washington University. Lynn completed her graduate work in Student Affairs Administration at Michigan State University and her undergraduate degree in Collaborative Health and Human Services at California State University, Monterrey Bay. Welcome, Lynn.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: And I also love Claire, and Brad is also amazing, so... All Bon yes. is
1: just wonderful. Oh, yes. Okay, great. This is good. Agassi has not actually seen um, any of the um, gourmet makes. So that's what we're pushing him towards right now. We'll
2: well, it. He needs to get I'm it good. together.
0: I, yes. I will get it together. I will get it together. You heard it here, listeners, folks. This is my first step in getting it together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Lynn, thanks for joining us for our little micro moments series. I, I keep calling it pockets of joy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cute. Like, I'm just like little well, mini cute. moments of of finding happiness in some really hard times. So we're excited to hear from you a little more. I just had
0: some yes, flashbacks to a pocket full of sunshine, but Natasha Bedingfield. <laughs> I just always think of Easy with A with the card. Yes.
2: I got <laughs> Yes.
0: <laughs> Maybe that should be our intro song. <laughs> for the series yeah exactly there you go oh we just have like an instrumental playing in the background while people are talking okay well you know what we'll talk offline we'll talk that'll be great that'll be great lynn thank you again for joining us and welcome back we're happy to have you um and you know we really just have one major question for you um you know what is one of your best student affairs moments
2: yes um very thank you for inviting me to this uh wonderful production um so I, so, okay, so what I currently do (laughs) is not something that students are always aware of. So I do a lot of prevention and intervention work around alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, as my title somewhat claims. Um, So, and with that, within my job, I have to do, um, so when a student violates the alcohol and other drug policy on Mason's campus, one of the, you know, Possible sanctions or consequences they have to do is an educational uh, process with me, particularly when it's around marijuana. Um, And so most of the time, uh, students aren't exactly happy to see me. It's not a very, you know, like fun-filled job sometimes doing that part of my job because students are, depending how they're treated in the incident that happened, um, or if they feel justified in what they're doing, or if they just like you know, obviously they're not willing, willingly coming to me for education. So a lot of times I have students who are very upset, very angry, um, and they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to learn about anything. Particularly around marijuana, because it's a very controversial topic, um, particularly when DC it's um, legalized and in Virginia it is not. Um, and we're very close to Virginia for people who do not know where George Mason is. Um, so, yeah, so all of that in context, um, I... It's uh, my job can be very difficult when I'm working with difficult or upset students a lot of times. So I was doing an educational process called Basics. Um, For those who do not know, it's um, basically an educational process where they meet with me, we discuss the incident that happened, and then we meet again um, to go over the educational process. Um, And this one was for marijuana, Um, and so this student, she came in, she had a very um, difficult situation. She had to be kicked off of campus because of multiple cases, and she had to move within three days. Um, she had a lot going on personally, emotionally, all this stuff. Um, and I like to try to give an environment that's non judgmental. Um, Obviously, I'm not encouraging illegal activity, but just saying like, these things happened, let's move forward, what have we learned? Um, How can we prevent this from happening again? Um, If you choose to use again, uh, if you're not choosing to use, great, then what are you doing to better uh, other aspects of your life? Um, And so in this student, um, our first meeting went well, Um, I didn't really have any indication if she was particularly upset or if she wanted to talk to me. Um, And then the second um, meeting that we had, you know, she had a lot of questions. It was pretty standard. But at the end of that meeting, she suddenly looked to to me and said, you know, I've never had anyone tell me like, it's okay. Like, yes, all these bad things happened and I shouldn't have been doing um, the things I was doing, but you were the first person to like, just tell me, take a breath, you know, take a step back, focus in on the things that are positive, and I really appreciate that, and can I give you a hug? And it's just a simple thing like that that was really heartwarming. I'm getting very red in the face, so please excuse me. Um, (laughs) And so, like, there's not a lot of times where students are just like, you know, I got in trouble, but you helped me through this time. Like, let me appreciate you with something as simple as a hug, and that was one of the you know, better parts of my job. So that's my little spiel.
1: That was so, like, so, so good. We were just talking to someone who works in conduct, I think very similar, right, that you work in an area that is not always eliciting the positive response, but then you have those interactions that are so significant that you held someone accountable, and you, but you also cared for them, and those things don't have to be mutually exclu- Exclusive. And those are such meaningful moments. I, I really, really loved that story.
2: No, oh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I feel like sometimes through, obviously this is very different, but sometimes they feel like a police officer, like it's not like, like I'm trying to get you in trouble, I'm just trying to like hold you accountable. And so it's, it's just interesting with students like actually understand like we're trying to help you, I'm not trying to like make you feel bad about anything.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot about trust in those moments, and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of students who uh, feel as though they've had run-ins with other folks, maybe on campus or maybe in other parts of their life where they have been policed um, by formal authority or not, and they just feel like there's a general distrust of anybody who is trying to hold them accountable, and how do you break down those barriers to get them to understand? It's like, I'm, I'm just trying to talk to you. I'm just trying to see where you're coming from and meet you where you are. Um, but it gets hard when you have students who do have those walls that are up because of past experiences, because as we all know, <clears throat> students don't just come to us as a blank slate to higher ed. Uh, they had an entire, you know, 18 plus years of formative education and, for, and learning in the world before they arrive at our doorstep. So, you know, to think that when they get to college, all those you know, troubles and challenges just disappear is, is wrong. Um, And, uh, you know, recently I I did do a service trip to uh, where we worked with the Harm Reduction Coalition of Atlanta. Um, And something they talked about a lot is understanding that there's an underlying issue as to why people use substances. Um, And what we should do is not judge them for using the substances, but try to get to the heart of what's going on and how they can do things safely so then we can help them with the root of their issue so they stop depending on these substances. Um, And I thought that was just so powerful because, I mean, we all grew up in the... In the, in the decade of dare, uh, where the drug education was, don't do it, you'll die, all these things, yes. look how bad, look at your gums, look at all these negative things, understanding that some people turn to these substances because there are things happening in their lives and that's what we need to talk about, um, which is I think why I love your story because it's like, I just, I just wanna talk to you, like I just wanna meet you where you're at and help
2: you out. Yeah, for sure, I feel like there's so much stigma um, I was gonna mention D.A.R.E., but then you beat me to it. I I was a graduate of the D.A.R.E. program uh, when I was in elementary school. And like, I just think back to all those times people were just saying, no, 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 bad, bad, bad. And it's just like, life is not black and white like that. There are so many things uh, that are going on and particularly in the neighborhood that I grew up in. It's just like, you can't, some things you just can't like say, those be very black and white about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like, there's so much shame that's put on students before they even come to us um, on so many different levels, but particularly about substances. And so it's, I feel like it's just so important that we need to listen more than put judgment on, on students.
1: Mm-hmm. When, I mean, I think that's right. The, the core of student affairs is that we are always trying to see the whole picture of this, who the student is, right? They're not a blank slate. And so yes, you may have engaged in something that we're holding you accountable for, trying to help you grow from but where like as he said where does that stem from because my issue with dare and i think where we've really grown a lot is that that is just no and then nothing else no information into like how that you know affects you long term or why you even started engaging or you know understanding like how drugs and the substance play into different communities like it was just like a, nope don't do it and you're bad right so it just it's very shameful versus i think now Largely not not in just what you do, but in conduct in universities is kind of restorative justice, right? How do we hold you accountable and get you to a place where you've you've made a different impact and that you are making steps in the right direction? Is just I'm really glad where we are because I don't know that it would have been quite as fun to be a student affairs professional <laughs> in the time of Dare, right? Doing what you want, and you're like no, and then that's where the conversation ends. That's
0: I mean, I I even just think about, like, thinking back to Dare and that little lion, because I'm pretty sure I still have a shirt somewhere. In, like, oh, my
1: gosh, that the lion! One
0: head, <laughs> that little you know, I just, I think about the perception of it now, just reflecting as, you know, now a quote-unquote, some kind of an adult. Like, the fact that it was, like, a police officer that would come into the classroom and talk to you about, like, why you shouldn't do these things. And as a kid, I never thought about it. Now as an adult, i just like, they just have like police officers just kind of like lecturing children i'm like I, is that like the per, like the perception is like don't do these things or you're going to jail like exactly it's like very black and white it reminds me of the mean girls episode episode oh my god episode <laughs> do you Mingo know about a mean girl show that i don't know <laughs> the mean girl scene where they're, they are don't have sex you'll get pregnant and die and, like, <laughs> you know it, it, it reminds of like sex education of like you know there are there are areas in the world that say like it's only abstinence only like just don't do it and where we see is that where abstinence only education is taught like there are higher rates of pregnancies and stds because there's not that educational component about understanding you're probably going to engage in these behaviors but let's teach you how to do them safely and teach you why maybe you should wait instead of saying just don't do it like don't even think about it don't do it
2: Mm -hmm. okay what you all
1: can't see is that miles muted as our producer found a dare background almost immediately (laughs) (laughs) Why is the lion
0: so buff? That lion is so buff! Look <laughs> at that Look at that shirt! <laughs> Sorry, I feel like we're just describing a picture, but like... No, we this that's so Just don't
2: do it, and you can be a buff lion. That's exactly the message that they're sharing. You're getting
0: there, Agassi. You're getting there. Stop it. Don't tell the listeners that. Don't put that on real... <laughs> <laughs> they see you at Saxon,
1: and they're
0: like... Yeah, they're going to be like, they're going to see me at Saxon. and they're like, wow, he's a lot less buff than Erica led to believe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh,
1: goodness. As always, this just kind of derails, Um, but I really love, I love what you do. I love where we're at and again in this field that we're respecting where people are and we're so thankful that you could share your story and kind of give us kind of an insight into what what keeps you going and and one of these really fantastic student interactions that you've had.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I love my job. I don't love it when students yell at me, but (laughs) I love those moments.
1: Happens, happens, but I'm yes. glad that you have some of the positive ones.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us again. Uh, do you have any social you'd like to
2: plug? <laughs> thank you for having me. My Instagram is L-I-N-L-E-E-B-E-E, so Lynn Lee B. Um, and I'm also the only Lynn Chun at George Mason, so feel free to look me up if you have any questions.
0: Boom.
1: Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Lynn. Have a great day.
1: Our next guest today is Dr. Susan Comavez. Susan is Professor Emerita at the University of Maryland. She is past president of the Council of the Advancement of Standards in Higher Education and the American College Personnel Association, was vice president of two colleges, and is the author slash editor of a dozen books for student leadership, including Student Services, Exploring Leadership, Leadership for a Better World, and the Handbook for Student Leadership Development. She is a co-founder of the National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs And a former member of the board of directors of the International Leadership Association. Dr. Komavez is a recipient of both the ACPA and NASPA Outstanding Research Awards and the ACPA Lifetime Achievement Awards. Whew, what a bio! Welcome! Well, it has
0: been 50 years.
1: (laughs) Quite a few things, but what a resume.
0: Just a few things, right? Just little things here and there.
3: Right. One or two. It well, did take a long time to do all those things. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for
0: the listeners at home, there were uh, quite a few pauses for breath uh, as yes. Erica was reading through that. <laughs> I'm very proud of her. You, I love that you were able to still speak and breathe at the same time. It's, very it's nice. lots of practice. <laughs> <laughs> we're so excited to have you. Uh, obviously, we are. Uh, this podcast series is to bring some joy to folks' lives, and we can't wait to hear some of the things that have brought some joy um, during your... Very expansive career in student affairs and higher education. Uh, But yes, we're just so excited to hear from you. Well, thank you. As I said to you, when we were preparing, it's been really
3: hard to try something because fortunately in this field that we're in, there's so many. You know, we have the gift in our lives of wonderful students who mean so much and experiences with them that are so meaningful.
0: Absolutely.
1: I think, you know, that's a perfect tie-in. You've got so many beautiful stories. Can you
3: tell us a little more about what has kind of been your most impactful student experience or student role? Well, I, I wouldn't want to say it's the, you know, it's hard to say something's the most when there are there. I'm, I'm happy to say there are so many. Let me do a brief one and a longer one. I, and I was a vice president at one point at the University of Tampa. So the three of us were our Florida people and talking about our Florida connections. Uh, let me tell you a quick one at the University of Tampa was um, when I came there in 1985, that August, a hurricane came. So the hurricane is putzing around the Gulf Coast. It decided to stall off the west coast of Tampa and not go anywhere. It literally did loops before it took off again up the Gulf, and we never got a major hit, but we got lots of rain. But we had to evacuate the University of Tampa campus because it's right in the floodplain on the the Tampa Bay and the Hillsborough River. So uh, most students left, but there were shelters they had to go to and school buses and our wonderful hall directors got them to those shelters. Well, when we opened up again, the first day that we opened up, and I was in the office and my secretary said, you have a phone call from the director of the shelter that our students were in. And I thought, oh my goodness, what did they do? You know, what is this gonna be? And this lady who was the director of the shelter got on the line and she said, I made a vow that the first call I would make would be to you because your students were marvelous. They organized children's reading groups, they organized plays, they got the children singing songs, the parents that were so distressed had a break and your students took care of the children in um, the shelter for the whole duration of those two or three days. We were so grateful for them. And I hung up in great relief and joy and thought, I'm sorry I thought anything less, you know, when I thought, what did they do, you know, and it was, it turned out to be this joyous moment of the students all did great things. So that's my story that is briefer, but that one brought a lot of joy to me because I was pleased with that. The other one is also a University of Tampa story. It's, it's on my mind, there are lots of stories as a grad faculty member. I mean, at Maryland where I had marvelous graduate students, you couldn't even hurt them do bad. They were just wonderful, but the developmental stories come always from the undergrad years, I think. So the other story I would tell you is I got a phone call at home one night from um, an unknown person to me. It was a woman's voice, a a, a young woman's voice, and she said, she said, Dr. Comovess, I, I, you aren't supposed to know this, but I think you should know this, that we are planning a protest for the campus um, in a week about anti-apartheid. and We think the university should divest in, in apartheid measures that are occurring in South Africa. And of course, that was wonderful. I think that was great. But this is 1985. So these protests were going full spring. And I said, well, thank you for telling me. I'd like to work with the group of you on this because we believe in that too. University of Tampa is in favor of divesting from South Africa. Even Ronald Reagan had said so by that time. So it wasn't that it was a controversial point, and I knew the university's support would be there and and was there. And she said, okay, well, a group of us would like to come in, and then we'll talk to you. So the next thing I madly did was call two friends of mine, uh, Keith Miser at the University of Vermont and Dick McKay at Indiana University, the two vice presidents there. On one of those campuses, they had had a death. In an apartheid protest where people from town came up to kind of make their own counter protest and set the shanty town that the students had built on fire. And there was a student sleeping in one of those shanty huts that had been built and that student died at Indiana and there were equal problems at Vermont so i called both of those colleagues and said coach me on what you think is important and what might be useful here and they said and they they did we had a long conversation and and talked about a whole variety of things to do, and I knew that I was gonna be able to work with the students. So um, using their advice, when the students came in the next morning, I knew several things. One was wanted to affirm that they had every right to protest. They had every right to have their voices heard and that we were actually proud of them for wanting to stand up to something the world and the, and the U.S. government uh, needed to take more seriously and certainly our board of trustees as well. But that that was a moment of pride for me that they wanted to do that and that many faculty and staff would want to join them, would want to support them. Uh, but I wanted to make sure they weren't co-opted, that it didn't become not their protest. And at the same time, I knew from talking to my two colleagues, one of the difficult issues in protests like building a shanty town is how do you end it? When is it over? When is it not just become rubble that then is dangerous or that people might come and set fires to? And I told them the story of the death that happened at... Um, I don't remember, I'm sorry now if it was IU or Vermont, but I told them that story and I said, so let's really plan this so that it's safe and you don't want anybody hurt in this. They completely agreed. Students are very reasonable. They didn't want anybody hurt either. Um, So that was not any kind of issue. And uh, we talked about what their goals were, how they could accomplish them. Um, I said, maybe we should end this with a teach-in of some kind, with a day, a Saturday of short classes and Lectures that are things that could be going on in different parts of the student union where they were planning outside to build this shanty town. And I said, and I'll make sure that we have a university vehicle there like a truck to haul off everything when after the week that it's done so that and you you want to get the press there. You want them to hear what you're saying. So they were taking notes and all this. So they they implemented then a very successful student protest that they kept charge of, that they turned into a meaningful protest, educational opportunity for the campus, for the community. Uh, the press did come and cover it. And the minute that it was all over, that truck moved in and put all the, the, the supplies that had been the shanties and hauled them off. And we were able to do that without anybody hurt. But I felt very good. That's probably a peak for me to think that what could have been a very difficult situation and what could have been taken over by people in town coming up and turning it into something. I don't mean Tampa's bad, I mean Tampa's great, but other people get involved in your protests and you can't control it. If if you, the students, don't mean it to turn uh, negative, it can without you even, and I've been in protests where that happened, uh, but I was very, very pleased that the students were as reasonable as they could be, that we planned something wonderful. They felt proud of their accomplishments and it ended um, educationally, meaningfully, and peacefully.
1: All the things that you could expect or hope out of a protest is the way that that ended. Those were really fantastic. I've been thinking a lot about protests. Um, I think um, the University of Florida has had no shortage in in years past. And one thing I loved is your comment that students are reasonable. And I think so many times they get a bad rep, that they are protesting, and that they don't understand what we're doing. They're just doing this because they're angry. Really rooted in all of this is a deep care for what they're talking about and that they also want to do it safely and the fact that you can come in and enable them to do that and say this is your show but here's where my expertise can come in I've never met a student protest that they've said well we want to cause harm but helping them through that is I think so 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 crucial and I really love how well this turned out for you because it could have really you're right gone a hundred different ways that weren't as positive and educational
3: When we've been doing our leadership work, one of the principles for us has been to be inclusive, and that means of ideas and of other shareholders and stakeholders. And um, the message here for those students were, don't assume we don't agree with you. Don't assume it's an adversarial situation when this topic is so powerful. And as humans, we support the message you're trying to share. So I think they, too, learned about inclusivity in planning some kind of a, a project as a leadership activity.
0: I mean, even, you know, as you were talking, something, I've had a lot of conversations with folks regarding, I think, the learning that happens with protesting and community organizing. And there are a lot of institutions, I I think, to your point, that do view students who want to protest as adversarial. And I think the issue with that is if you mark them as adversarial from the beginning, then there's no way for you to try to bring them closer to engage in that kind of a conversation. And again... You know, we think about all the protests that are happening on college campuses now, which, of course, we know is not a new phenomenon. Students have been protesting on college campuses for decades now. Um, but, of course, the resurgence of what is happening now with tensions on college campuses. And the I think the thought to try to dismiss or to disband or to stop the protest, rather than, to your point, finding a way for them to do things safely, for them to get their message heard, to broadcast that message by bringing the press, bringing people who, me- who can amplify that message for people to hear and see, um, because there is so much learning that happens from students who want to organize around a cause or to advocate for their needs. They learn how to work with others. They learn how to view different viewpoints. I mean, a movement is not a a monolith. A movement is made up of a lot of individual people who are trying to move in a general direction. And that is, in in the core of it, that is leadership work. It's trying to get these students to understand how to work with one another to push forward with their cause in in a safe way.
3: Well, one of the projects I'm working on now is called the New Directions for Student Leadership Series. And one of the issues we had done in our series this last winter was uh, student activism as leadership development. So I exceptionally agree with you. I also don't want to say, let's don't make this sound too easy or too sugar-coated. It yes. was easy. This protest was logically one of a partnership because it was a world issue, a human rights issue that we could all agree on and the students and we were reasonable too about how we would approach it. If, if the institution is the target of the protest because of institutional racism, some kind of act that, the, that people at the institution committed, then all of that gets much more difficult. I still think there are ways to not articulate officially draw lines in the sand. I think there are ways to right away work through listening and through trying to collaborate on how can we go forward together on something. If you think it's important, we think it's important too. So we're not saying you're wrong. Let's say let's look at this together. So I think there's lots of ways to approach things, but certainly they're more difficult when the target of the student protest is to get the administration, whoever that is, attention To some wrong that's happened in the environment. And the more that's around issues of personal identity or student culture or social justice issues that have happened on campus, the more difficult that is. Still means we just have to work harder.
1: Thank you so much for saying that because I think this is one, right, this is a no-brainer with this protest. we're, We're all on board, right, even like the U.S. government understands. So I think it does get really dicey and you know, the point of our podcast is to talk about the good and sometimes the really hard and challenging. And yeah, that gets complicated when, you know, maybe not us ourselves, but when the administration is the, the target of that, how do you still then provide the space? Even if we think that our decision is correct, how do you, students still have that right and that ability. And that's kind of the whole point of of free speech is that you can feel comfortable to talk about, and protest the things that you find wrong. And there's a lot of times when I see protests on our campus, I might, I might disagree with them. I might be like, well, this is why we made the decision. I have that background knowledge. But I can sometimes get teary-eyed thinking you care so much about something that you are willing to put a lot of things on the line to make change. And I think that that is one of the most really beautiful lessons of college is how you do that.
3: Well, I think your series, too, is targeted at new professionals, right? Mm -hmm. You're looking at approaching the first five years, as I recall from the email. And I think another personal issue for every new professional listening to this podcast is what is your right and responsibility in things that you feel strongly about? And there are some things where you are the administration. You are a member of that team that needs to help students understand other perspectives or the other perspective on an issue. Sometimes you feel strongly and want to join a protest and can you, should you, um, in what cases would you? And I think these are all great topics for staff discussions and particularly to get clarifications from supervisors and others on. So you decide when you are going to go outside those bounds, if they are different than what you might personally feel comfortable with.
0: Mm-hmm. That is exactly what I was just talking about. I've been thinking about it. I'm so sorry. I, that line, I feel like that line is so hard to walk. Because they are, I mean, to your point, there are a lot of issues and causes that I care so deeply about that I see things happen. And I kind of have to remember like, this is the institution I work for and I do have to walk a line because there is a balance there. And, you know, it's about finding, uh, to me, what I've kind of come to, it's about finding the the relationships, the networks that I can help leverage to help those students get to where they need to go. Um, Because your point just now, who is the administration? Um I've had so many conversations with students who say, "Well, we want to talk to the administration about this issue." I'm like, "Okay, who specifically?" And that's where it's kind of like, "No, all of them." I'm like, "Okay, well, not everyone is an administrator. You have to be strategic. Look, this one person oversees this area. That's who you should start talking to because that's probably where you can get that change or at least have that conversation." Because students A lot of the time, and something I read a long time ago, the students who typically, not typically, the students who uh, go on or end up graduating from college aren't always the ones who are the smartest, it's the ones who can navigate systems the best. So this is an extension of that. How do we get them to understand you have an issue, you have a grievance against the institution, okay, here's where I think you should go, here's where I think you should put your efforts. Um, I had a student who approached me a few months ago who wanted our department to sign on to a petition. Our department as a whole uh, to rename the honors college and that's that was a good conversation to start about as a department we cannot do that as an individual I will support you and on top of that here's what else I think you should be doing in the meantime here's how you can get to in front of the board of trustees here's how you get on their agenda here's how you get that message forward uh, because again it, it is hard to navigate and sometimes students do see you as adversarial because they say well you're not doing anything I don't see you out there with us you're not with us you're against us you're on their side I'm like, I'm trying to make all sides better (laughs) I'm trying my best in this case and some a lot of students do understand but I think without those conversations they just they don't see you in those spaces so they say okay you don't agree with us it's like no I am trying to support as best as I can from the position that I'm in I think those are good
3: points and I think another way to frame that is when is it your role to work through reform instead of revolution so a revolution is from those outside some structural elements of a system. Reform is when you're in the system. So we at least can always work from a reform perspective and try to use the networks and the, and the, the uh, staff and faculty groups that we have in the committees that we're on and the networks across uh, functions at the institution to accomplish a lot of change and benefit for students or around issues.
1: I love that. I, I just wrote
3: that down. <laughs> I was I also,
0: like, that's I, a great I, point. I also, I also oh, wrote I that I was a student of the 60s, you know, so we knew those words. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That, I, I remember when I was interviewing for grad school, I had someone who sat down with me and, and they asked me a question and they said, who is, you know, who is the most important person? The person within a system fighting within a system to change it or the people outside of the system who are throwing sticks and stones and trying to change from the outside? Um, And the conclusion of that, the answer to that is they're both needed. You need the folks on the inside who understand how the the organization, the structure works. And you need the folks on the outside who say, this isn't enough. We need more, which is where the students come in. I I, I feel like a, a false assumption that I've heard from other professionals is, well, they don't know what they want. I'm like, well, that's also what we study to do. We study to learn how to better serve students. And they're saying they have an issue with X thing. We need to figure out how to bake X thing better. They don't have all the answers. They're just saying, hey, this is an issue. And we need to work, I think, within ourselves with other people in in this institution to figure out, okay, well, what does the solution solution look like here?
1: I think this is fantastic. I learned a lot today. Uh, Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really was taking notes. (laughs) We've (laughs) got so many things to share. I mean, I will listen to our podcast again just to make sure I got it all in. But it really, I think, means a lot. We are a podcast geared at of the the new professional experience, but who are we as new professionals if we don't learn from those who have done it and made the mistakes and learned lessons and passed it along? So it really is so um, important, and I know that I speak for all of us when I say we're so thankful for you sharing your your experience working with students. Also, if no one's ever seen the University of Tampa, it's a gorgeous campus. Absolutely breathtaking. Anytime I'm in Tampa, I just go walk around it. That's neither here nor there, but <laughs> but thank you so much for spending time with us um, today. It really means a lot. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Um, so, we'll just do a quick little kind of plug again for SAXA. This is again the first five years, our essay moments. Uh, so, if you would like to follow SAXA, more information on the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, we are at facebook.com/saxa fan page, Twitter at SAXA tweets, and Instagram at SAXA Grants very good social media channels they've got
0: <laughs> very very well branded and if you want to connect with eric or i follow us on twitter at agassi that's ata underscore r erica what's your social
1: i'm erica with a c-m underscore agiar that's a-g-u-i-a-r and susan would you like to plug anything any new publications coming out or follow you on twitter
3: well, i say like, get on your University's Wiley Online subscription site and look up New Directions for Student Leadership. There are four issues a year. You can download them all so they are there for you to read and they're great chapters on things like Black Lives Matter and uh, things that relate to this activism topic we were talking about today.
1: You heard it here, y'all. Make sure you're doing your professional development reading. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my list too.
0: Taking notes, taking notes. Taking notes. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks again so much for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all soon.
0: Coming up next is Sax's very own Bree Price. Bree is entering her third year as a residential life coordinator at the University of Houston, where she oversees 1,100 first time in college students. She received her bachelor's degree in sociology from the University of West Georgia, hashtag go West, and her master's in college student personnel from the University of Tennessee. Brie has served on multiple roles in Saxa including the undergraduate symposium committee and has also served as a poster session chair for Saxa's annual conference. In her spare time, Brie enjoys trying new recipes and traveling when there isn't a pandemic outside our windows. Please welcome Free. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: welcome Brie. Thank y'all for having me. I'm so excited. I mean, this is it's my first, this is my first podcast so It's a whole Saxa queen, honestly. We're I know I'm trying. I'm just trying to up to the greats. You know, I don't have a whole podcast yet on Zaxa. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you got to oh, start somewhere.
0: We are only great. We are, uh, here are some of all the great stories that come uh, our way. So you are going to great stories. We're What is it? We're greater than the sum of our parts? Is that what it is? Uh, in a way? I, it, it, I'll go with it. That sounds right. There you go. There you go. I know it's like a math thing and I'm not very good at math. So that'd be like, good at math. <laughs> I got
4: this I'm communications a- degree, Zagason. <laughs> I do too. No worries. <laughs> I can social work you if you'd like I can do that. There
0: you go. So we gotta play to our strengths, y'all. We gotta play to the strengths. like yes. it's just we gotta know what we got and we gotta use that sometimes. <laughs> well, welcome, Bree. We're so excited to have you on our chat. Um and I know I didn't mention it in our intro, folks, but Bree is also a friend of mine from the New Professionals Institute hashtag Accountability Buddy. You <laughs> will <laughs> Um, so Bree and I have known each other for a good bit, so we're just so excited that you found some time to chat with us, and we just can't wait to see what kind of a story you got.
4: Yeah, don't forget, we actually met, not at MPI,
0: but in
4: South Africa um, on oh, the study God. of trip. Brie. Brie, you're that, you're that Brie. I yes. am. God. me, the one and only. Famous. Well, I'm, I'm one of many Brie's, but. <laughs> yes, but to me, you are that Brie. Yes. I will take that Brie. I will definitely
0: take it. <laughs> yes. Oh what, my goodness. What the showcases to you, Brie, is that I've talked about you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, way. hopefully,
4: in a good way,
0: because I am that Brie, apparently. <laughs> Very good uh, for the folks at home, uh, that is so true. I absolutely just forgot about that. Bree and I actually met during a study abroad program when we were both in grad school. Um, and then, lo and behold, we ended up in the same small group for the New Professionals Institute. And here we are now, both members of SACS and both getting engaged boom i really Gross.
1: thought that we Gross. were engaged Like, yeah freedom. i got nervous i was like you know something i don't and i had a couple of questions <laughs> please tell me <laughs> if anyone is curious it is a friday that we are recording so our antics are a little more wild and no one's engaged as of now
0: erica but what what would be some of your questions where's the confusion
1: because I wasn't asked for permission to for you to be. Part- <laughs> I fully That's believe not- I will be part of that decision making process.
0: <laughs> That's not right I thought you were gonna go. Good answer.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you sure weren't. Catch first, and the, the, you Mm-mm.
1: Yeah. No, not today. Not tomorrow. <laughs>
0: well, I'm, I'm crying. I'm crying uh, tears of joy. Tears of joy, y'all. <laughs> So
1: okay, you got something <laughs> No, I'm just trying to contain my laughter. So there's a lot of joy on this call. Bree, can you tell us a little bit about one of your best student affairs moments?
4: Yes, I will be happy to. Um, I think as a student affairs professional, it's really hard. When I got asked this question, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I have to pick just one, or like how does this work? And so, of course, um, I have several. But if I were to take out the really quote unquote, monumental things. Um, I had to give myself a framework because I work in higher ed and frameworks are always nice. So (laughs) um, something that kind of grounds me in my why, in my day-to-day, especially during a pandemic right now, um, is I have a thank you wall. So I take it everywhere with me. So all the cards, emails, sticky notes, um, conferences, little badges and things like that, I keep them all on a wall and in my office space that I've traveled with from undergrad, honestly, up through grad school and even in my first year, as a second year as a professional. Um, and so when I looked at that wall, I was like, what are some of the moments that I think are some of the best? Um, and when I thought about it, I came up with two particular stories. One actually has a thank you card and one doesn't, but I'll explain that in the midst of the story. So working in housing, um, we go through a lot of conduct, at least I have, working in a first-year residence hall. Um, at this particular institution, um, I was on call, and I was dealing with a student at 3 o'clock in the morning who was having a lot of, I guess, had alcohol poisoning or passed out of some sort, um, and we eventually found, a student staff found her in the bathroom and passed out, and she eventually came too. Long story short, three hours later, we she was... Um, she was drunk. She was, um, she got caught with a couple of fake IDs, uh, one a real one with her being her sister's ID, um, and eventually got written up for conduct. And I eventually saw that conduct case. In my conduct cases, you know, you go through the spiel of the emotions of being in conduct and asking the questions and who, what, when, where, why. Um, but I always like to um, ask more in depth questions because. My philosophy is there's no such thing as bad people. they're just good people who make bad decisions. And so we have to really have those conversations towards the end of the meeting. And I say, so why did you decide to come to this institution? What was the thought process in making the decisions you made that night? And typically I get decent, for the most part, decent conversations from that. Um, and she gave me the very stereotypical answers of like, I want to do this with my career. I want to do, do this with my life and have these types of experiences, yada, yada, yada. And so I continued with the conduct case, sanctioned the person, and went on about my life. It wasn't until about a month later, um, I was going to my office. My student staff at the desk told me that a student came and dropped off something in my mailbox outside of my office, and I didn't think nothing of it. So I later checked my mailbox, and it was a card. And I was like, oh my gosh, who's this card from? And I thought it was from like a colleague or hookman. I read it, and the student actually was saying to me that same student wrote me an actual physical handwritten letter saying that that conversation really meant a lot to her. And she was able to really think about the decisions she made. And nobody has ever talked to her in a way that made her think about her life's decisions and decisions that she does make, either from the day-to-day or just in life. You're going to make decisions, right? And they're not always going to be the right ones. And so learning from those consequences. And I I thought to myself, like, wow, when you work in higher ed, that's a very thankless job, for one. (laughs) <laughs> so you never know who you're impacting on a day-to-day basis and so from that moment I learned from colleagues and friend tours about essentially planting the seed and so that's kind of the model that I live by as a professional uh, what can I do to plant the seed and sometimes when you plant the seed you won't ever see the plant grow you might not even get to water it but if you plant the seed hopefully they take that with them in their future endeavors right so that was the first time that I think I realize sometimes the impact that I'm making without knowing that I'm making an impact. Um, I would say that leads to my second story, which is, um, i would never really received a thank you card per se, but the impact is, I think, if not bigger than the one that I had with the last student. Um, once again, through a conduct case, um, conduct cases are theme here. Um, the student came to me this time, it was a, a weed incident. Um, student got caught with weed went through the conduct process, had the conduct meeting. Um, this student had more similar identities to myself, um, being a young Black man. Um, we had the typical conversation. And towards the end, I always asked once again, um, good people, bad decisions, why do you smoke weed? And he paused for a really long time. And I, I kind of let him have this moment. I let it be quiet for a second. And then he kind of gave me some nonchalant answer. Now, most of this conduct meeting, he was being very nonchalant. With. Um, but when I asked him why, I could tell that there was something clicking in his brain. And so he gave me some answer. And I said, well, let's talk more about that. Like, you, you had a very dramatic pause. And then that's when he explained to me that he had gone through some really traumatic experiences. And he found weed as a coping method, as Um And the kid started break down crying. Um, this was very different from the very first 15 minutes of our conversation. Um, to the very last 15 minutes of our conversation. And at that point, the conduct officer hat comes off and now we're having a human to human interaction. Um, and that meant a lot to me, particularly as a black woman talking to a black man, considering the times that we're in right now with Black Lives Matter and you know police brutality and shootings and things like that. I had a really deep conversation with him about some of those experiences, the, the experiences of being a black man in society. And also some of the decisions he decides to make don't necessarily have greater or equal impact than sometimes his peers who are not of the same identities. And I think that was the first time somebody had had that conversation with him. Um, And then outside of that, we talked about finding some resources for him that could help him and he was very (laughs) anti-therapy. He did not wanna talk to a counselor, those types of things. And I explained to him as not only as a black person, but as a person um, who goes through things as well, therapy is a way for you to talk to somebody who has no bias in anything you do. Um, I said, I'm, it's great. He had a great relationship with his mom. I said, I think it's awesome that you have a relationship with your mom. Your mom knows about these things. But your mom has a bias. No matter what, how much she loves you, she's going to tell you things that she want to hear or need to hear. But hearing that from somebody who has no impact on your life or how things happen in your life could be very beneficial for you. And so I wasn't able to get him to do counseling then, but eventually I sanctioned him, the whole nine. I saw him from time to time in my building. He would speak hello, I'll stop at my office, didn't think nothing else of it, followed up with him after two weeks. He seemed pretty okay-ish. And I said, okay, I'm going to leave it alone. And so about a couple of the following semester, he um, got caught up in another conduct case. Um, outside of that conduct case, though, he wasn't involved, but I eventually figured out he wasn't involved in, but in that meeting with him that I had, he explained to me, Miss Bree, I really want to tell you, like, I had nothing to do with this incident, but I also want to tell you that the reason I have nothing to do with this incident, because I haven't even touched marijuana or seen it since we spoke, the last time I spoke to you about weed, and I was shocked, because I just knew, like, students will tell you anything you want to hear, and then move on, but he was like, I have legitimately I talked to my mom about what we talked about. My mom and I were able to find me a therapist. Um, I saw therapy. I started reading some of the book suggestions you gave me that I really enjoy. Um, I don't even hang around some of those same people anymore. And that he was really focusing on his grades and like had a better idea of what he wanted to do with his life. And he was just like, I really want to thank you for having that conversation with me because it really meant a lot for me as a, not only as a student, but as a black man, I really appreciated having that conversation. And I was like dumbfounded, because I was like, I didn't, I knew there was some type of impact there, right? But you never know, you never get to see the plant grow, right? And so seeing how our conversation differed from one semester to a whole nother semester in a whole different setting sometimes, it really truly touched me to know that like, what I say sometimes does hit home for students and what I say does matter. And I was able to capture that moment in my head when I saw this question, I immediately thought about that one student. Um, and so I think I have plenty of other stories, but I really say all that to say like as especially new professionals, I think sometimes that transition from graduate school or whatever transition you're making into being a student affairs professional is that transition can be really hard, but really trying to ground yourself in the the thank you wall, the thank you moments, those really times where you really are like having it rough (laughs) when the pandemic first started working in housing it was rough but i really got to rely on not just my support system but that thank you all like what am i doing every day is for my students and the safety and growth and their leadership and all of those positive things that student affairs loves um you want to see them grow and develop and what are the ways we can do that um that has been something that has continued to motivate me Um, And it's helped because obviously I'm continuing to make impacts on students in ways that I would never imagine. So, um, yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So
1: (laughs) that was that was really fantastic. It reminds me so much. Agassi, you shared this comment. I don't know what episode it was about how we never know what students are going to stick with, right? Like what, what impact it's going to have and that you might've crafted this whole response. And then just the mere act of saying, hey, how are you? They come back and say, that was so profound. And it is these little things, right? That you're like, yeah, I probably had an effect on you. And then you've got this student who comes back and, you know, these, both these students to say this, your kindness, your compassion, your human to human connection above all, changed something. And I think especially in conduct, that is so hard to find. And I'm so glad that you've had such good experiences. Gosh.
4: Yeah, that's not to say that all conduct goes that way. <laughs> <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, conduct is a real finicky thing for me. I personally don't really enjoy it, but I do enjoy those moments that I do get to have. Sometimes, like we said, we don't always get to see that or hear about it or even know what happens to that student after that one meeting with them, so. Man, you never know. Sometimes you got to be careful what you say because you just never know.
1: I mean, fishbowl, people are always and you just you really don't ever know what's going to impact. And I've had students who have come back so delayed like a year and say, hey, you know, you saw me on campus and you stopped and asked how my classes were and you remembered my major. And that kept me going. And I I mean, I am like I don't even remember saying that to you, but right. I'm so you glad I didn't remember
4: sometimes who they are. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie to you. But yeah, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> there's so much. there's a lot of y'all and there's one of me. That's what I tell them every year. <laughs> There's eleven hundred of you and there's one of me. I'm not name <laughs> the first week or two. But if you keep coming to me and you keep asking me what you quiz me, I will eventually get it right yeah. somewhere along the line. So
0: You know, Brian, as you were kind of talking, especially in regards to your second story about how much it meant to you as a Black woman or Black person to be able to relay those messages of like seeking therapy and seeking outside counsel um, to another Black person, another Black man, um, it just, it really makes you think about like when we have the opportunity to really, you know, we're here to support all students and we understand that, but how much it means when you're able to sit across from the people who share similar identities to you and... Seeing those folks succeed, it just, it it, it means so much when all students succeed, but it just, it means so much, so much specialness when you see someone who has something similar to you across from you, who is also succeeding. And because I know that, you know, for me, I know that I have a special place in my heart and will always for Latinx students on campus. Um, I look out for all students. I support all students, but when there is a Latinx student in front of me who is asking for help and support, Like to me, it's like, these are my people and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you are all right. Um, And when you do see those folks succeed, because I exactly, I know I shared this point before, you don't, you sometimes have to believe that things worked out because you don't always see it. And of course, that is different across institutional type. Um, In my experience, I've worked in a lot of larger public institutions. So sometimes we have to believe that after those conversations, they've gone off and they've gotten better and they've done great things because we don't always see the the return of the growth. Um, But it just, as you were talking, was like. I know what that feels like when you see your folks succeeding, because it just, it means so much.
4: I mean, that cultural competence piece is so real. Even if you aren't somebody with a minoritized identity, that cultural competence of understanding somebody's background and the empathy that you may have for them um, is essentially why I even chose higher ed to begin with, because I had Absolutely. black folks and black women in particularly really took the time like to invest, even if it was just that conversation, right? Um, and even to this day, every now and again, I will put something out on my social media that's like, I really want to shout out these individuals because they are the reason why I am in higher education today. Like I still follow them obsessively (laughs) um, to make sure like and I check in with them, I see how they're doing from time to time. And sometimes it's odd and weird, but I really need them to know I know how much it means to me to hear that from my students. And so as a lifelong learner and student myself, I feel like it's important to continue to let those people know, like, hey, what you said and what you did for me mattered. And, like, this is how I've been able to use it. And so every now and again, shoot out that person, that mentor, the friend, tour, whoever that may be, like, hey, thank you so much for this. I know this was, like, 18,000 years ago. Like, I really need to thank you for this, this conversation you had with me because it helped me in this X, Y, Z way.
1: But when you're on the, like, receiving end of that, Oh, my. Like this podcast is all background. Actually, we did a kind of whole episode about that. But, you know, I always tell my students like, when I write you a letter of recommendation, I, I really want to know what's happening. And I just was like, you write 100 of these every year. I want to know if you got that scholarship, if you got into law school, it because I'm your biggest supporter. And I had a student who was uh, I think it was speech language pathology and she got into Columbia, which is like one of the best programs. And she said I had a stronger reaction than her own mom. Which like very on brand for me.
0: Which I, I believe. Like,
1: and all my other students were like, why are you so excited? Like you And I was like, because I care so much about you. And I want to celebrate. I also want to be there for the hard times. But gosh, it makes the the like beautiful moments so much better. And so shout out to the students. Please tell us. <laughs> or, you know, the faculty or staff or whatever, please. Like, we all need to, I think, do a good job of celebrating especially now you're right we are in such hard times that when a student does email me something that's just like hey thinking of you i'm i'm taken aback and i am in a puddle and i am crying because yeah. that's what we yeah. need <laughs> Listen,
4: i was just in a puddle not that anymore like maybe a week ago um, my staff we obviously they they either to their positions or they resigned early because of the pandemic but they ha- took the time to answer a few questions and we were hosting like their end of the year celebration virtually or whatever. And they had their little end of the year video or whatever it was called. And <laughs> at the very end, they had like eight minutes of just them responding to like, thank you, Bree, for being a great supervisor and this, that, and the other. And I was like, boo-hoo crying. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. Y'all like me? Y'all really like me? Like, um, that's, that's
1: exactly what Agassi and I can see say every <laughs> time
4: they like us. I'm like, because I am... <laughs> listen, that letter of recommendation is a big deal, at least for me, because first of all, it takes time. If I like you enough and you have the contents that I need to write you a decent recommendation letter, I'm not just putting you out there. I'm putting myself out there, too. Mm-hmm. So for me to take the time to write it, yes, I feel like I got into Columbia, too. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I had lots of students that applied to like medical school, and so when they got in, I was like, oh, my We're letter <laughs> We, we did it. We did
0: it. Um, <laughs> I mean you're so you're you. so right. I you know, recently, um I, I recently had a student that I work with who uh and just to show you that sometimes students succeed in things that you're like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And right, like, right excitement and you're just so proud of them and it, it almost <laughs> reminds me of like when I tell my parents things and they like, Whoa, congrats and I'm like, You have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. So one of my students was like a finalist in like a roof building competition by like the National Roofers Association sure. or something like that, where they were going to get flown out to Dallas to redesign like the Dallas Cowboys, like, like stadium roof. And oh my I, God. I I didn't even know that was a thing, but congrats. <laughs> that sounds so Listen. good. It was, but it just, again, like when, and it just, is also a reminder again, I think Brie, you hit it, you like hit it on the head, like that we should also be reaching out to folks and thanking them and celebrating them and like keeping them updated about our own achievements. Because I definitely love it when a student will respond and be like, hey, just letting you know, this is happening or hey, I just got this position, thank you so much. Like just like little updates, because I will say that sometimes even as a new professional, we don't know how to interact with our mentors or even how to find a mentor, because we're like, I don't wanna be awkward. I don't wanna be needy. I don't wanna like be too much potentially, but like I wanna let them know that I'm all right and I'm doing all right. and. And that's, it's hard. And then, but we're out here telling people, tell us, tell us, but we also are like, no, we don't want to tell you because we think it's Listen, (laughs) I literally have to talk myself out of this loop because
4: like, I see them all the time on social media, especially after, you know, when your mentors move on and get bigger positions, you're like, oh my gosh, that is so exciting. Like you just got this VPSA job. Like you are really killing the game. Like you're doing great. And like, when I even when I'm fangirling really hard, I'm like, I'm so nervous to, like, text them, like, congratulations, like, oh, my God. Do you remember who I am? I don't, I know I'm, like, the <laughs> lowest thing on your totem pole right now, but, like, I really just want you to know that I am so excited for you. Like, <laughs> it's really awkward. It's hard. Really
1: though. One thing, um, I have a good friend here at UF, Bianca Quinones, and she, since grad school, she puts out a newsletter. I think she sends it, like, once a semester about what's going on. So when she was in grad school, she put, Here's like my practicum, and here's my thesis, and here's where I'm job searching. Please let me know if you hear of anything. And hey, I just got this job. And then she let everyone know when she transitioned roles, and it's so cute. And I, I mean, I'm a colleague, and I love getting it. But I think that's a really cool way. Shout out, new professionals, to share, and and people love it. Like all of us in the office, like, did you get Bianca's letter? Like, she's across campus, so it's like.
4: Listen, that's one way to create a buzz. People will remember your name, yes.
1: okay? mm-hmm. and she, everybody <laughs> she's interacted with, and I think that's so cool because then people remember you. And so when she applied to a job at UF where she had previously interned, we all knew where she was and what she was doing. So it, you know, had good connections to make in that way. So shout out Bianca.
0: I'm gonna have to, yeah. I'm gonna have to reach out to Bianca during one of our Listen. next calls and be like, "Yo, <laughs> can you add me to the intern. Can, can you share me that template or, to or not?" <laughs> Is it on Canva? Can you like help
1: <laughs> Questions that fan. need answers. <laughs>
0: Listen. <laughs> well, well, Brie, thank you again so much for being on our, on our, uh, on our podcast. Uh, now you can't say that you've never been on a podcast. So I hope I'm sending you good vibes to be featured. on mm-hmm. many, a podcast. I need to add many it to my newsletter. There, there you go. go. There you go. Um, but thank you so much. <laughs> Sharing. We loved having you on the pod. We loved hearing your story. Uh, do you have any social you'd like to plug? Anyway, folks can connect with you. So I'm
4: not gonna lie. I am that is an area of growth for me, but you can still find me. I don't have any professional social media, but you can still follow me on Facebook at Bree Price. You can follow me on my LinkedIn account at Bree Ann Price. And Instagram is Brila, so B-R-I-L-A-H. You can find me there.
0: Awesome. Got
1: one more follower than me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm already a follower. So. <laughs> well, thanks again, Bree. It was such a pleasure. And we hope you enjoy your day. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned. Thanks, Bree.